0: Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Whether, uh, ...whether we're male, whether we're female, whether we're fathers uh, biologically, whether we're fathers uh, spiritually or um, you know, emotionally for, for people. And so it's a great honour to have you here with us, Rob. So church, can we put our hands together and re- welcome Rob Pike as he comes to speak. What a great way to start a Sunday, hey, with all this masculinity on stage. I feel a bit awkward now, like how to measure up to the two gentlemen that are up here. I'm not very good with tools, so I'm glad you didn't pick me up to come and do that. Like, um, thank you for, for having me, and thank you for the honour of actually being able to speak here on such a really cool day, um, Father's Day. So happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I really hope you had a great morning. Put your hand up if you had breakfast in bed. Yes, couple of guys. Well done. Good job to the kids or to the mums. Well done. Um, what, a, what a cool church you have here, hey? Yes. What a really cool church you have here. Um, I, 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 I'd known a little bit about your church, but I thought, how do I know if this church is a good church? And so I Googled you. <laughs> and so it came up, it gave me, you guys came up, five stars. Good job, five stars. You know what? I actually then googled my own church and I thought, oh, geez, surely we're five as well. We're 4.7. So I was kind of disappointed. I was like, who did our bad review? I'm going to contact them. Um, <laughs> um, it's actually, I know you're a good church because you've guys got a really good um, uh, reputation and your pastors are amazing. Um, I think you guys have some amazing pastors. Yeah, good for to hands together for them. Um, I'd heard about them before I met them because. These guys love coffee, and they go to the same coffee place that my friend owns, which is Groundswell in Mandra, Pori. I don't know if anyone knows him, but good coffee, go check it out. Christian business, we should support Christian business. Um, but I really had a really good connection with your Pastor Marty, and I think good people in a, in a fantastic church that are doing amazing things in this area. And so I'm really excited to see uh, where your church goes and uh, what's in your future. Um, so a little bit about about me. So if I can get my first photo up, if that's all right, the, oh not back one, the family one, if that's all right. Yes, there we go. So this is a this is a photo. I actually tried to ask my daughter which if this was okay. She said no. She said you gotta put a better one up. So that's my family. I, I'm a father of two. I'm a father of two. My 12 year old daughter. I'll give you, a stand up, Elba. Elba. Elba, you stand up, Elba? Elba, stand up, Elba. Yeah, turn around, so uh, yes, so she's my mini me, she's my mini me um, and so we, she loves basketball, I love basketball, we love going surfing, we were down at Falcon Bay just last weekend surfing out there, it was good fun. Um, so I'm a father of two, I've been married for coming up this month, we been married for 16 years um, to, to my wonderful wife, Kamma, um, I'm not allowed to get her to wave so that's okay. No standing up, okay. <laughs> so I've got my son, my son is seven, he's in kids' church. Um, he is a curly redhead, so he's probably out there running mark. he lives up to his hair. Um, and obviously my daughter Alba, she's 12, and uh, so I've got an awesome little family, awesome little family. Um, Cameron and I and our family have been active members in Awaken Church in Port Kennedy for probably about 15 years. Um, and the reason why I say active members, because I feel like there's a difference between just being a member and I feel like there's a difference between being an active member, so me and Camera being active members in our church. We've been youth pastors, we've been young adults pastors, and then we got old and not cool, so we decided to hand it on. And, uh, and so but we handed it on to people that were actually ready to take up the vision and run with it and run with it better. And I feel like sometimes you see so many people that are holding on because it's their position, and they really shouldn't. They really should hand it over. And, um, and so we've been... We've been in our church for, for 15 years, um, and I love my church, I love my church, I love that God's called us to be in that area to make a difference, um, and just like I feel like God's called you to be in this area to make a difference as well. Um, so I wanted to start today, and I feel like, um, I, feel like my, my, I had a dad joke, but I don't know if I can measure up to your dad jokes, so I've got, I've got one dad joke that I'm going to share with you. What do you call it when Batman skips church? Christian Bale? Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. My daughter's like, who's Christian Bale? All right, so I, I wanted to share with you my story today. I want to share with you my story and share with you my testimony. Um, but what I want to do before, because it's Father's Day, today, so I want to give you my three tips, three tips on being a better father, um, and probably three tips that I'm probably constantly telling myself. And so it's not like I'm telling you from a place where I've got it all under control and I know exactly what I'm doing, like I'm, I'm, this, I'm perfect in this area, but I'm actually telling you this because I'm sharing with myself. And so, three tips to be a better father Uh, be intentional. So, what that means is actually means action. Means actions. And I know my wife's going to laugh, but it means actually being present, not on your phone. Actually being there in the moment. Like being intentional, making time for them, making time for your children, making time to actually show your interest in them and their interests. So, that's number one be intentional. Number two make memories. Good family memory, memories, shared experiences. You know, those are the type of memories that your kids will remember when they get older, that they'll want to replicate. Number three, show your children how to say sorry. Authentic sorry. Your, your, your children need to see you as the father, being able to say sorry to them, but also being able to say sorry to their mum. They actually say, you know what, I stuffed up, and actually being able to make it right. And so those are my three tips to being a better father. I'm trying to implement them every day. I'm trying to say sorry to my wife more often, trying to so my, so my, my kids see it. Um, so I want to tell you today that we actually serve a really good God. We, we serve a really good God. And uh, the, the title of my message today is actually the power of your story, or the power of your testimony. Now, we, uh, we started to do this, this little thing in our church recently, probably over the last two weeks, where it's, we call it good news. And we get people that have actually, that like God's done something in their lives and we get them up on stage and, and they share this. And I'll be honest with you, when I first heard that this is what we were doing, I was like, oh, great, this is going to be cringy." Oh, a, little, a little bit of christian I'm not really sure if I'm, you know, I kind of had to check my attitude. And, uh, and we started doing it in our church and then all of a sudden, I actually found the atmosphere was changing. Because, you know what, people hear how God has moved in your life and this, they grab onto it and it changes the atmosphere and it makes them grab hold of that same faith and then it makes you realise, that, you know, if I can do it for them, and do it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And so why I'm here today and, and sharing my testimony is that I really believe that one of the biggest weapons that we have in fulfilling the Great Commission is our story. Yeah. It's actually what God's done in our lives, the, 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 the hardship that He's taken us through, and it's that story. And I'm saying it in a way that it doesn't have to be, it just needs to be us doesn't need to be any, anything other than just us. And, uh, and so I'm going to share with you my story, and it's actually a really tough story. It's a tough story to tell because it is actually the hardest day of my life, the hardest times of my life, the hardest journey that I've ever been through. And uh, so I'm going to share with you, and all I'm asking for you guys to do is just um, just listen and, and connect. And uh, I've just got to say also that is that what you're going to hear today is, uh, is probably, I'll, I'll rate it PG. It's rated PG because we're going to talk about some serious stuff and, um, and so um, before I get into, into my message today, um, I, I tell my story a lot and I, I usually tell it a lot in school so I'm up there kind of boasting myself and it makes me actually feel really uncomfortable because really what I would love to be doing when I go and speak in school is actually be boasting of God yeah. and how what he's done in my life. Um, because everything that I've achieved, everything that I've done, it's not because of me. It's not because of me at all. And so can I just really emphasise this, and I'm telling my story and I'm telling you what God's done in my life, that you remember it's God, it's what He's done in my life. It's none of me, none of me. And so before we get into it, let's pray, hey? Lord, we just thank you for today, Lord. I thank you that you've called me to be in this church today, Lord, that you've called me to share my story and my testimony of how good you are, God. Lord, I thank you today that you let it be your words that are coming out of my mouth, Lord, of none of me. Lord, I, feel, I pray, Lord, that you open hearts, Lord, and that you move people today. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you weren't aware, if you weren't aware, the reason why I stand up here on prosthetic legs is because when I was 17 years old, I was actually involved in a, in a car crash. Uh, in this car crash, it took both my legs, but it actually took three of my friends as well and so I just want to put the first photo of the boys up on up on stage here it 's not a great photo, um, but you guys can get so there was actually four of us in the car that day um, Unfortunately I don't have a photo of Adam So Adam Stribling was in the car that day um, So I want to tell you a little, bit, a little bit about the boys So Adam Stribling was a, was a fantastic young man He was actually a servant in, in his church He was a young youth leader um, He was one of those types of young men That he didn't need to be seen He wasn't one of those people that needed to be on the front row. He was just one of those people that would serve and would be consistent. So I always think about about Adam now. I think where would his life look now? What would he be doing in the church? And he would be one of those faithful people that would be turning up, setting up, setting down, just one of those pillars in the church that would be holding everything together. Because you know what? Not everyone's called to be a front man. Not everyone wants to be a front man. But all roles are just as important. Um, Then we've got Christian. So Christian's the the young man in the middle, uh, a pastor's son. I don't think I've probably met anyone that's probably been more born to be a pastor, um, and I say that because he was actually a gatherer of men. So everyone was kind of drawn to him. I think of whenever I think of Christian, I think of him almost like a lighthouse. Is that he was almost like this beacon, and it wasn't that he was—he wasn't arrogant. He was just one of those friendly people that was warm and that was engaging, and people were drawn to him. He was super talented at everything. It was annoying. It was annoying because he was so good at everything. He was a server. He was good at sport. He was, he was a musician. He could sing. He could play guitar. Like, I, I don't think actually know anything that he wasn't good at. And uh, to make things worse, to make things even worse, he was a really good-looking looking young man. Like, Italian, young, he's Italian, really good-looking. The girls loved him. The girls loved him. Um, so annoying. But he, but he actually... <laughs> but he loved God and he loved people. That was his number one best trait and then we have um daniel here so daniel was my best friend uh, he also another pastor's son um, daniel was similar to christian he was probably the, the the comedian of our group he knew how to make people laugh he didn't go looking for people people were drawn to him it was almost like a magnet and um and i always felt like it was, a, it was a pleasure for me to actually hang around these guys um, because they just love people they weren't trying to be anything other than themselves um, And they just loved people, loved God and loved people. I feel like that's what we're called to be. We love God and love people. Um, And then there's me, this awkward little guy down here on the right-hand side. There's me. I want to tell you a little bit about me um, because what you see today is not what I saw back then. So I want to tell you a little bit about what I saw as a young Robert Pike that was 17 years old. I was writing this this week and I actually found it really hard because you look back in hindsight and you look back at, at who you are as a, as a teenager and um, I, wish, I wish I was more like my friends. Um, but I'm going to tell you how I thought I saw myself. So when I, when I saw myself, what I, what, I, what I felt like I saw was, was someone who was very average looking. I was very self-conscious. I saw my imperfections and failings more than I saw anything of quality. I didn't make friends very easy. I was suspicious of people and thought people were always looking for a way to embarrass me. I was arrogant. I wasn't kind to people. And because of my insecurities, I would actually mock and tease people to make myself feel better about myself. Um, I went to school with my wife, so if you think, is this true? She can actually say, yeah, it's true. He was like that. She's actually nodding and laughing. Yeah, you were like that. (laughs) It wasn't all negative, though. I was good at sport. I was especially good at at cricket and football. Um, I would have loved, I had a bit of a goal and you know I have aspirations as a kid. I wanted to play football for the best AFL team in Australia, the Fremantle Dockers. Yes, yes, yes is right. (laughs) I was praying actually last night, oh my gosh. (laughs) I was actually, I was good at cricket but I also had, had a good work ethic. Um, my goal at the end of that year was actually to go into the into the army. I wanted to go to Duntroon and, um, and and that was gonna be my job, to go into the army. I grew up in a Christian home and I remember going to, to, to church as a kid and I was always in kids' church and I grew up in, in, in church. But I don't really feel like I had my own relationship with God. It was all something it was always me outside looking in. So the 17th of August 1999. That was the day that I had my car crash. Um, I was 17 years old, and I was in year 12. I remember everything about that day. Um, and I, to be honest with you, I kind of, I kind of wish I didn't. Because um, they're pretty horrible memories. Um, that afternoon, Adam... Christian, Daniel and myself, we went 10-pin bowling. So I don't know if you guys know, in Rockingham, AMF bowling, on Rockingham foreshore, that is where we went. We played two games of 10-pin bowling, and in case anybody wanted to know, I won both games. Pretty important piece of information right there. But I always, always remember that day because it was a fun afternoon. I actually remember Daniel throwing himself down the alley like as if he was the ball, like you know, trying to make everyone laugh like he normally would. So it was, it was a fun afternoon. I always remember like that as being a good time, a happy time. But it's strange how things can change really fast. I remember as we, were, we were rushing to get home that afternoon. And I remember it's was about 4.15 that afternoon. We got to the roundabout. We are heading back to my, to my home. It was about, probably about five minutes away from my home. So it's 4.15 in the afternoon. Get to this roundabout. It's pouring down with rain. Everything's fine. A little bit further down the road, it's 4.16 in the afternoon. I'm having a laugh and a joke with Adam and Christian and Daniel in the car. It's still pouring down with rain but still everything's fine. Then all of a sudden, 4.17 happened. My whole life will never be the same again because of what happened at 4.17. Like I said, it's strange how everything can change so fast because at 4.16, I'm having a laugh and a joke with my friends. Not anything is wrong. My future is all set before me, and then all of a sudden, everything changed just like that. 4.17, I'm lying on the side of the road, and three of my friends are dead. As we were kind of, we weren't, we weren't doing the right thing on the road that day. We were speeding. We weren't going excessively fast, but we weren't driving to the weather conditions. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Siri. <laughs> Let me repeat myself. <laughs> Jeez, that was a really deep time to sad to happen, wasn't it? Like, really. Thanks, Siri. Interrupt my flow. <laughs> um, I actually remember. I remember the moment that we were driving in the car, and I remember almost the moment that everything changed. As we were driving along, we hit a big puddle of water, and the car aquaplaned. I remember getting really scared. I remember closing my eyes and clenching my fists. I remember thinking to myself, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be really bad," and it was. Christian lost control of the car it went into a spin and it smashed into a tree and the car split in half can we show can we go back to the first one just sit on that first one just for a little bit yeah so the front half of the car that was where Christian and Adam were sitting Christian and Adam actually got flung out of the car and died on impact. So just like that, two friends gone. Myself and my best friend Daniel were sitting in the back half of the car. Like I said, I remember everything. I wasn't knocked out, I wasn't unconscious, I remember everything, I remember the car rolling and rolling and rolling, until all of a sudden that came to an abrupt halt and the back end of the car was actually on its right hand side. I remember opening my eyes, and the very first thing I did is I looked down at my hands, and there was glass everywhere. My hands were covered in glass. My hands were covered in blood. They were all cut up. It was still pouring down with rain. I had this rain coming down my face. It was going into my eyes, and I remember trying to get my arm, and I'm trying to wipe away this water out of my eyes. And it didn't matter how hard I tried it, I just could not get this water out of my eyes. It kept frustrating me until all of a sudden I look at my arm, and I realise that it's actually not water. That it's, it's blood. I've got a massive gash across my head. I've got blood pouring down my face. It's about this time that I actually start to realise. I start to realise how, oh my gosh, we've been involved in a car crash. We've crashed. And I'm trying to keep myself together. I'm trying to keep myself calm. I'm trying to tell myself that everything's going to be okay. That's how I always handled every other situation in my life. You know, everything's going to be okay. We're going to get through this and then I I looked up to my left so I wanted to see how Daniel was if Daniel was okay he's probably sitting about there he's he's not okay I'm sitting next to my dead best friend I I, I lose it I start crying I'm yelling I'm making as much noise as I can if I'm going to be honest I'm swearing as well because I'm, I'm just freaking out. I'm freaking out. I'm thinking to myself, if I can just yell loud enough, then maybe just maybe somebody might come along and save Daniel's life. So I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. The first person on the scene was actually a lady who lived across the road. You know, I'll always be grateful to that lady, because I reckon she had a pretty hard decision to make when she came out, because what she saw was what you guys see. What she saw when she looked down the road was actually Daniel and, and Adam just laying there. So I reckon it would have been a really hard decision for her to say, you know what, I need to go help. I'll always be grateful to that lady because she actually looked past herself, saw the need, and she ran and she stayed with me for about 30 minutes until the to the to the ambulance and the fire brigade got right there. The emergency services arrive at the crash scene and they, they get the jaws of life out and they pull the car apart. My body goes into shock, so they put me into a drug induced coma and they take me to they take me to Fremantle Hospital. I actually, they they put me on, sorry, they they put me on life support uh, because I had bruising and bleeding on the brain. I actually remember waking up in hospital two weeks later. So I had no idea what had happened. I had no memory of what had just happened. I had tubes and cords that were attached to me, things that were keeping me alive. And I remember waking up being scared. No memory of what had just happened. I think my my dad was sitting next to me. I remember him getting up and I remember him walking over to me. He grabs my hand and and he looks over and he tells me, he goes, Bob, it's going to be okay. Bob, it's going to be okay. Just trying to calm me. And then he continues with saying, but I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. Christian, Adam and Daniel have died. My heart sank. My heart sank because I reckon in that moment, more than it ever has before, I cried out to God. Because in my heart, all I was thinking about is like, oh my gosh, they've died. God, please let them be with you. That was the first thing I thought. God, please let them be with you. And I experienced, as soon as I thought thought those things, I, I felt God's presence like never before. And i probably heard him like never before either. I've never felt this, this presence before. Where I felt like God spoke to me in that moment He said, Bob, they're with me. They're with me and it's going to be okay. And then I felt this peace. I, I can't explain it to you. I can't put it into words except for saying it's peace that surpasses all understanding. Because in that situation, my brain should have been frantic. In every situation, where, where I was sitting, where I was laying, My mind should have been all over the place, but all of a sudden there's this peace that surpasses all understanding that's sitting on me. I can't explain it better than say, it's only God. As more time went on, I started to realise the extent of my injuries. I broke my leg in two places. That leg. broke my leg in two places. I had a subdural hematoma, which is bruising of the brain. That's why they kept me on life support for so long. I had severe, severe cuts and lacerations. I had over 200 stitches. I broke my back. I had a back brace on. As soon as I woke up, I had a back brace on. And I actually lost both my legs. I can't put into words the amount of pain that I was feeling at that time. It, always, it felt like there was not enough of medicine that they could give me, pain relief, that they could give me to take it all. I ended up being in hospital for about eight weeks probably the hardest eight weeks of my life ever. So I received three miracles that day. 17th of August, my crash day, I received three miracles. So I want to tell you about the first two. Number one, I didn't bleed out. When you have people that have amputations in a car crash, most of the time, like 99% of the time, if you have an amputation in a car crash, you don't make it, You you don't live. You do not live. The actual back panel of the car, the one that you can see just there, actually came across my body, trapped me in the car, saved my life. If it wasn't for that coming across my body and and, and being so tight on me, I would not be here today. But at the same time as saving my life, coming across me and saving my life, it actually took both my feet. So my feet went with the front half of the car, my body was in the back half of the car. So I had no idea that as I'm sitting in the car, my As I'm sitting in the car next to Daniel, that my my feet are actually probably about 20 meters away from me. Had no idea. But because of that side panel that came across my body, it wasn't tight enough to crush me, but it was tight enough to act as a tourniquet on my stumps. I I, I can't explain it, but it's a miracle that I didn't bleed out that day. My second miracle was my healing. Now, what what I mean, let me get into that. It's actually through the power of prayer. Doctors informed my parents that evening that I actually had a broken neck. They didn't say how bad it was, but they said that it's severe and that they would have to follow up the next day because they were actually just trying to make sure I lived through the night. As soon as my mum and dad heard that, they actually spread the word. We need you to pray for my son because he's got a broken neck and we don't want him to live the rest of his life with this broken neck. So the word went out. I actually have met people since that day, said, oh, I remember you. I was praying for you. So don't tell me that prayer doesn't work because prayer definitely works. And if you're struggling through something or you need a breakthrough, you start praying about it. Get people on your side. Let's pray. So that that broken neck that I had, the next day they did a rescan, and somehow, God, somehow that break had moved from my neck into my lower back. So I had a burst fracture of my L5. You know while I stand here today a little bit disappointed because I think to myself, why didn't those people just pray a little bit harder? <laughs> I could have had no break. <laughs> I'm a bit greedy, aren't I? <laughs> uh, my life, how I knew it, had completely changed. I went from being this really independent young man who was athletic, I had all this bright future ahead of me, to all of a sudden I'm lying in this hospital bed and physically I'm broken, mentally I'm broken. Completely shattered. I couldn't sit up, I couldn't wash myself, couldn't feed myself, couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Every little bit of self-esteem that I had was gone. I probably felt two really strong set of emotions. I was sad and upset and I was angry and there was nothing within me that was actually happy to be alive because I felt so guilty that it was me that came out of that car. In my own mind, I could not comprehend, could not comprehend why God would save me and not one of the other boys. In my mind, they would be more valuable to him. Two pastor's sons, I was angry at God for taking my friends. I was angry at God for taking these three young boys away from their families. I was angry at God for taking my legs. I was angry at him because I had to live the rest of my life with this extra challenge. The way people viewed me had completely changed. I actually remember my friends coming and visiting me in hospital. I remember Kama coming and visiting me in hospital. And I could see on their faces... What do you say to someone who's just lost their friends and just lost their legs? What do you say? How, what can you say to make them feel better? Well, I don't know what that answer is. I don't know what that answer is. But I could see on their face, I didn't know what to say. It was awkward. I could see that what they saw was someone who was helpless, that was broken. The way I viewed myself... If it couldn't have gotten any lower, it did, because all of a sudden I'm, I'm living my life with this disability. I already thought that no woman could like me, then how could anyone ever love me with my disability? In my own mind, I was hideous. I kept thinking to myself that my, the way I get better, the way I feel better about myself is that I, all I need to do is get out of hospital. If I can just get out of hospital, I can go back to a little bit of normality. I can, I can get my set of prosthetic legs, I can put jeans on, no one has to know. I would have loved to have gone back to my part-time job. I would have loved to have gone back to my footy team. it wasn't a possibility for me anymore. Church community is really good when you're going through a struggle. But let me say this, is that when I went back to my church community, my church community was amazing, really positive, really encouraging. They would tell me how lucky I was to be alive. They would tell me that I was a miracle, that God's got huge plans for my life. They would tell me that uh, I'd be living for three other young men. Now, I probably wasn't ready to hear it, (laughs) You know what, sometimes we're, we have good intentions, don't we? And we're, we're trying to say, hey, you know, God's got this, God's got this. And that, that's probably all we need to say, hey, God's got this. But we continue, we try to say all these things that, try to get these people through that. But I'll be honest with you, at that time, I didn't want to hear that. And I couldn't hear it. Because all of a sudden, all I'm, all I'm feeling is this anger towards God and, and I'm feeling guilty for being the only one to come out of that car alive. And so this pressure of what I was supposed to be ended up becoming too much. So I ended up running away. I ran away from my friends, I ran away from my church, I ran away from everything that was probably good for me and I actually entrenched myself in a lifestyle that wasn't good for me. I got got into nightclubbing. Every Saturday night I was going to nightclub with drugs and alcohol. I, I involved myself really heavily in my local cricket club that I thought was fantastic for me. I thought it was a positive environment because every time I scored five runs, every time I took a cash, every time I I took a wicket, it was free beers for Rob. They thought they were supporting me. Because you know what, at that time, at that time in my life, there was no better beer than a free beer. And I don't even like alcohol. (laughs) And so I ran away, ran away from God. Now the reason why I ran away from God is because I was angry at him. And I wanted to live a way, I wanted wanted my life, I wanted to live a way that would actually make him hurt. I thought, you know what, I'm going to remind you every time I'm out, every time I'm doing things that I shouldn't be doing, I'm going to remind you, God, that this is because of you. I didn't realise at the time that I was actually probably doing more damage to myself than to him. But you know what, God is so good. God is so good because he is always faithful. And he stayed with me every step of the way. He stayed with me every step away. And every part of that journey, I knew that he was there, kind of watching me, just waiting for me to kind of... And I actually remember the moment that God met me when I actually was standing in a nightclub, balcony of a nightclub. You know, I really believe that God can meet you anywhere. You don't need to be in your church. You don't need to be on the front row. You don't need to be on the altar. You know what? God can meet you in your home. He can meet you in your workplace. He can meet you in your sporting club, in your school. God met me in a, night, in a nightclub where I remember standing there and I was feeling empty. I was feeling empty inside and I was feeling, oh my gosh, I'm thinking to myself, there's got to be more to life than just this. That's what I'm thinking to myself. And then all of a sudden I felt God's presence and I felt him speak to me saying, are you done? Are you done? It wasn't anything complicated? Are you done? Are you done trying to do it your way? Are you done trying to do it away? Because I'm here waiting for you. I'm waiting for you because I want you to do it my way. In that nightclub, I gave my life to Christ properly in that nightclub. Made a decision that I couldn't do my life without him. And so church today, that's, that's kind of my story. That's my story of brokenness. But that's not, my, that's not my testimony. So my testimony is actually what God's done in my life since then. And how he's transformed me. So in saying that, I actually want to share with you four four points today and four scriptures actually what what I felt is really important. And and so I'm gonna go with point one and we're gonna get that up on up on screen. Number one is survival is not my testimony. Life isn't a testimony, because everyone gets life. It's what you allow God to do with your life, that is what is your true testimony. It's about what you do through Him, living through Him. John ten ten says, "The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I come to give life and life more abundantly." So I just want to stop right there, just for a second, because I want you to see: the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy your dreams, your hope, your health, your finances. But I tell you what, Christ comes to give you life and life more abundantly. So what does that mean? Abundantly, abundantly means large, quantity, plentiful. So if we actually look at the Greek. The Greek, it means exceedingly, very high, beyond measure, more, a quantity so abundant to be considerably more than what one would ever expect or anticipate. That is God's plan for your life, that you live a life that's full of abundance, not lack. The fact that I'm alive isn't my testimony, church. It's what God has done through me since then, since my accident. See, I stand here, the same man that was broken, but now I'm completely healed. Emotionally, physically. See, the legs that you see before you today isn't brokenness. It's just, a, it's just a little scar. Maybe it's a big scar. But it's just a reminder of where God has actually brought me from. See, my disability was once a massive embarrassment for me. But you know what? Right now, it's actually something that I'm really proud of. It's a point of difference. It's actually something that's actually opened doors to wonderful experiences in my life that I actually never thought I would ever would have never happen to me. Point two, true change is a journey. Yeah, great. You know what? True change isn't a 100-meter sprint. True change is a marathon. True change happens when you're on the journey. You know, I would love to be able to tell you that once I gave my heart to Christ that once you give your heart to Christ, I'd love to be able to tell you that all of a sudden, all that baggage that you've had in your life all of a sudden drops off and everything is clean. It's not. Because it's a journey. Yeah. And we unfortunately, we carry a little bit of baggage as we go. And the journey is actually how do we let go of that along the way. Yeah, I'd hurt a lot of my friends. See, my friends actually lost their friends that day. And I actually never really thought about it that way. That they were hurting as well. And then all of a sudden, I stand up and I run away. So I made things just a little bit worse for them. I had to make some hard decisions because I'd hurt my true friends and I'd made, fri- made friends with people that actually weren't good for me. I had to cut myself off from those people that weren't good for me and I had to make things right with those that were. I had to swallow my pride. I had to go and apologise had to go to my real friends and say, I'm so sorry, but I stuffed up. I'm sorry for making things harder for you. Now, I wasn't after anything back. I wasn't after, you know what, we should have been there. I wasn't after anything. I wasn't after any type of rods because I knew that I needed to make amends for what I'd done, for my actions. I had to set myself up as a regular member in our church in some way that would actually speak life into me. See, my true change came when I made church and seeking God's presence and a relationship with Him my number one importance. I made a conscious decision to be able to be, to be teachable, to be mouldable. To be able to take it on the chin if I stuffed up. To be able to hear, to actually come under someone. To be mentored. To be able to hear those things that maybe were tough to hear. To be able to make changes within myself. See, Galatians 6.2 says this, says, the, says to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, when you come and join a church, you're actually joining the family. You're not called to do, uh, we're not called to do life alone. We're called to do it together. We're called to bear one another's burdens, to carry, to help people go through it. And that's what you get when you, when you join a church, when you connect, when you fully connect, when you become an active member. Three point three is genuine faith is tested. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honour on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Your faith is going to be tested. You know what? Just because you become a Christian, just because you give your life to Christ, it's not easy. Your faith is tested. See, I look back, I look back at the person I was and where my life was heading and I'll be honest with you, my plan was to go into the army, my plan was to hopefully play football for the Fremantle Dockers and I'll, I'll, to be honest with you, if I look back now on where my life was heading, my, my, I wouldn't have had a relationship with God. I wouldn't have had a relationship with God if it wasn't for my accident. See, through my trials, he has developed a strength, a faith that is unshakable. He has turned me from someone who was with massive insecurities to someone who is sure and secure with who they are, who is secure in what God is for me and where I'm going. God's plan is to take away your insecurities. See, my testimony today, church, is this, is that I have a beautiful wife. She's strong and godly. I have two wonderful children. I have a job that I'm unqualified for. (laughs) It's true, it's true, I have a job that I'm unqualified for. Every person in my team has a university degree. I'm the only person that doesn't, doesn't make sense. I run a business, my own business, that means I can speak into young people's lives. I've been lucky enough to play wheelchair basketball for Australia that I won a gold medal playing wheelchair basketball for Australia. One of my proudest moments is being on the dais singing our national anthem. Every blessing that I have, I never thought I would get. And I'll be honest, I never thought I deserved. But my, my life is so much more blessed than what I could ever imagine. It's come to give us life and life more abundant. See, I am under no illusion though I'm under no illusion that my hard times are over. But what I do know is that what God has brought me through means that he's actually equipped me to take on and conquer the next battle. Not for myself, but for his glory. Point four. His faith is seeing yourself through God's eyes. See, Ephesians 2 said, For we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yeah. For we are God's handiwork. Actually, in another version it says that we are God's masterpiece. Yeah. Masterpiece. Well, if you're a masterpiece, that's not a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. It's not an error. Yeah. It, means nothing. it means that you're not less than. It means that you are a masterpiece, that you are a prize value. Yeah. I actually used to think of myself as unlucky to be alive. Now I see myself as blessed to be alive. For years, I could, not, I could not understand why God had saved me. For years, I couldn't understand it. could not understand why I was the lucky one. Because honestly, I actually felt like God had made a mistake. See, I see now that the reason why God saved me, because not for my human life, but for my salvation. That he wanted to give me another chance. Because I'll tell you, let me tell you this, and I'll be completely honest with you, is that if I had died in that car that afternoon, I wouldn't have known where I was going. And I'll always think about that. i always think about it. People say, oh, do you know? Do you know where you're going? If you were to pass away at the, at the end of this meeting, would you know? If someone had asked me that in that car in that day, that day my answer would have been, I don't know. Now, if you're saying I don't know to add that question, I think you know the answer. If God loved me that much to save me, then I should love myself enough to live for him. God didn't make a mistake when he made me. I am a masterpiece. So are you. I had massive self-esteem issues, self-worth issues. I had years of bad habits telling myself that I wasn't good enough. That no one would ever love me. So I started to change that by reminding myself every day of how much God loves me that he saved me for a reason. See, I realised that through, through God, that I realised that God through my testimony had given me a message to help speak life and hope into people's worlds. Yeah. That God had taken me from someone that could not speak in public. My first time i ever spoken in public was in high school in year 10. I remember getting up in front of the class and I couldn't even get my name right. I said, hi, my name is <laughs> Like You do not, when you're in high school, you do not come back from that. Have a guess what my nickname was for the rest of high school? No. Booby. Even, <laughs> even now, even sometimes people say, My old friend's see me. Like, How are you going, Booby? I'm like, Oh, gosh, I can't get away from this. I can't get away from this. You know what? Public speakers actually was probably a massive fear for me and is a massive fear for a lot of people. But I actually said to God when it happened because I realized early on that I had a pretty, pretty crazy story to tell of God's goodness. I said to him really early on, I said, God, if you give me an opportunity to speak, then I'll be obedient and I'll say yes. I regretted that straight away (laughs) because I remember, honestly, to to be completely honest, the first eight years were horrible. You're like, eight years? Oh my gosh, that's nearly a decade. That's a decade of me actually saying, oh my gosh, God, why have I I said yes to this, merely throwing up? You know, and like thinking to myself, I'm going to be sick every time. Two days before, thinking to myself, why, why did I say yes? I, I can't say yes again. I, I should cancel. You know, it was actually something that was really hard for me to be consistent with. But I made a commitment to God that if the opportunity would, ar- would arise, that I would always say yes to bring him the glory. It's funny I say that because I actually had one of those moments this week. Where I was in my car, I was taking my daughter from basketball, and I said to Elba, "I said, oh, why did I say yes to this?" And uh, she actually, she said to me, Dad, if someone gets impacted by your story, and it's all worth it." I was like, "Oh, stop being so right!" <laughs> so you know, stop being so right. It's annoying. So, <laughs> uh, so I've actually been running my own public speaking business for the last fifteen years. And I'm actually really happy that it's actually gotten easier. So, bless, it's gotten easier. Um, and I was, last year, and I'll show you this next photo, if that's okay. So, this photo is at actually RAC Arena, Perth Arena. And we'll go to the next, next photo. And so, last year, I spoke to about 13,000 kids at RAC Arena. Kind of hot implanting a little bit of hope in their lives, being able to share my story. Now, i tell you what, when I look back, I think about that year 10, getting up in front of his class, oh, my name's Booby. <laughs> I never thought that God had this plan for me. You know what, you never know what God's plan is for your life if you just keep being obedient, keep walking through those open doors that he opens and you keep going through. And wherever God leads you, he will equip you. You know what, the devil, the enemy always will try and plant little ideas in your mind that you're not good enough. And he did that to me this week in my car. There's my daughter I'm knocking him down. That I'm, not, that I'm not smart enough, that I'm not good enough, that I'm not articulate enough. But one of the most powerful weapons I had, like I said at the start, one of the most powerful weapons we have in evangelism is our story. It's what God's done in our lives. You know what, and the enemy will always try and silence you. Because he knows how powerful it is. knows how powerful it is. You know what? You can bring more people to Christ by just telling a story. Don't try to complicate it. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Just be you. See, I stand here today on these fake legs in awe of God. And I'll be honest with you, I'm humbled. I'm actually humbled that he would use me. How good is our God that the situation that the enemy uses, that he wants to use to break us, that he uses to strengthen us, to grow us, to teach us, to develop character, to create a faith that goes from strength to strength. He uses that situation as a tool to speak into other people's lives. He uses that situation to propel you into your calling, to open doors that would have otherwise been closed. So I want to finish my, my message today By sharing with you my favourite scripture, and it was one of those scriptures that always has brought me hope when I was struggling. Romans five, verse three to five says, "We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that when when they help us, we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation." And this hope will not lead to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his loves. Consider it pure joy to face trials of any kind that he will develop character. I don't know if it's pure joy when you're facing a trial. I don't know if it's pure joy but you know what? When you look back you think you know what God can do how he's, how he's, ta- what he's taken you through and how he's, the miracle, there's miracles that he's done in your, in your life. You think to yourself, you know what, maybe, maybe this should be pure joy. Maybe this trial should be pure joy because I know that God's got a plan for me. I want to thank you church for allowing me to be vulnerable today, for allowing me to actually share the hardest days of my life. And uh, Thank you so much for blessing me and uh, allowing me to come here and speak to you today. Thank you, Pastor. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks.